the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy in our passage today are actually some of the most personal remarks that he gives to him throughout the entire letter. Paul's younger protege, as we know, Timothy, has been left in Ephesus to remain faithful to the apostolic teaching, but also to correct false teaching that had begun to take place within the church at Ephesus. So Timothy is very much Paul's younger brother in the faith. If any of you work or have had a job, when you began your job, more than likely, there was someone also there who had been there longer than you, who had more experience, who perhaps had more skill, that kind of showed you the ropes so that you could better perform at your job. And this is what Paul is to Timothy, or this is what Timothy is to Paul. Paul is his mentor. And so Timothy learns and soaks up everything that Paul has to teach him. When I first got into pastoral ministry and I was living in New Orleans, there were two pastors at the church that I served at who both took me under their wings. Now this was not any type of formal relationship. I didn't ask them to be my mentor. But as I worked with them, they brought me along. So one of those pastors was excellent at pastoral care. And so he would take me around with him when we would go see people in the hospital or go see sick people at their homes or in the nursing homes. And so what I learned from that faithful brother was how important caring for the sheep is when it comes to being a pastor. And then there was another pastor that I served under who instilled in me how important it is to faithfully week in and week out, preach the word of God. And he allowed me to be a part of meetings where he was planning worship services and discussing what sermon series the church needed to hear at that point in time. So everyone, no matter what field you're in, has somebody that you either have looked up to or they have intentionally or maybe even unintentionally poured into you and showed you how to do what it is God has called you to do. And that is what Paul is to Timothy. That's what this whole letter is about. Timothy, let me guide you, let me help you as you learn to be a pastor. Oh, by the way, I'm leaving you in this very difficult church. I'm not with you, but these instructions are going to help you as you navigate life as a pastor. So this is what this letter is about. Whether you're a coach, you're a teacher, banker, accountant, doesn't matter. Somebody probably helped you learn how to do what it is that you do today. And the remarks that Paul gives to Timothy, especially in our passage today, are meant to encourage him and remind him of what is most important for him as a pastor. So because Paul cares for Timothy and for the church, then the instructions that Paul is giving to Timothy are not just relevant for the first century church in Ephesus, but they're also relevant for the 2023 church known as First Baptist Dothan. So based on our text today, we learn how to be or how to model what it would look like for someone to be a faithful pastor by these four things. Number one, faithful pastors train for godliness. Number two, they toil for the gospel. Number three, they teach 
with authority. And number four, they trek on. I had to finish with a T. So that's why I did trek. That's just a, that's what Baptists do, okay? So train for godliness, toil for the gospel, teach with authority, and trek on. Or this idea of perseverance. You see how trek on makes way more sense than persevere? I guess when you're OCD, you just have to have all T's. Number one. Train for godliness. I said last week, as we finished up 1 through 5, that verse 6 is actually a transition verse. Between the ending of 1 through 5 and the beginning of 7 through 16. So, what Paul is saying here is in light of the false teaching in Ephesus, Paul is telling Timothy that he must point out these things. Now, believe it or not, there's great discussion and debate over what Paul means here by that phrase, these things. Does he mean the false teaching that he's been talking about throughout the letter? Or does he mean everything that Paul has said in chapters 2 through chapter 4, verse 5? I tend to lean that he's talking about everything that he said in chapter 2, everything he, everything he said in chapter 3, all the way through verse 5. And Paul first begins by referencing these false teachers who were speculating, it seems, over theological minutiae. In other words, they were concentrating and focusing on things that were not essential to the gospel. If you go back and look in chapter 1, we learned that these are myths, endless genealogies, in my Bible reading that we're doing as a church, I'm a, I'm a little bit ahead, you know, because I'm a pastor, so I might as well be ahead. And I'm in First Chronicles, right? And those first nine chapters in First Chronicles is genealogy after genealogy after genealogy all the way through. So imagine if I came in and I said, all we're going to talk about for the next five years is the genealogies in First Chronicles 1 through 9. Now, of course, because all of God's word is inspired and useful and good for us, we could do it. But that would be a really strange way to map out, you know, the vision of the preaching for the next five years would be to just focus on genealogies and to speculate over how this person is related to this person and, and shouldn't this person go here instead of there in the timeline? Well, that's exactly what seems to be happening with these false teachers in Ephesus. They were obsessed over genealogies and speculating over second and third, maybe even fourth level issues of doctrine. And they were pulling people away from the truth of the gospel over to their side over things that, while they might be interesting, ultimately don't save people from their sin. And this is what Timothy is dealing with in Ephesus. They were consumed with the wrong things. And we find in this passage the first of 12 imperative verbs. And here's the first one. When Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. They were speculating and they were making up stories and they were perhaps even adding on to the truth of the gospel. And Paul's advice to Timothy is not to waste his time. But instead of wasting time trying to correct all of this speculation, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Instead of focusing on that, train for godliness. This is what Paul tells him to do. And he contrasts 
bodily training from godly training. Of course, we know that both are important. Bodily training is important. It can keep you healthy. It can maybe allow you to live longer. It's good for your mental health and your emotional health. So Paul is not teaching that bodily training is not useful or not helpful. But rather, he's saying a better use of your time is to train for godliness. Studies have shown that people who attend religious services actually, on average, live about four years longer than those who don't. I just said religious services. I didn't even say Christian services. So there is benefit to godliness, no matter what religious tradition you're a part of. But of course, we know the godliness that Paul is talking about is the one true God. The only one who can save you from your sin. So focusing on godliness not only has benefit for this life, because as we focus on godliness, we get more conformed to the image of Christ, but it also benefits us in the next life, when we will be with Christ. It's not about the training itself. Paul doesn't use this illustration for us to be consumed over what kind of workouts we do during the week physically, as opposed to godly workouts. The crux of the argument is how long the training will last. Physical training will only last so long, but godliness lasts forever. Aspiring for godliness not only benefits you in this life, but also in the next. I don't care how in shape you are. We all know stories of people who trained for marathons, went to CrossFit competitions, and at 47 years old they dropped dead of a heart attack. So no matter what you do physically, when God is ready for your life on this earth to end, it will end. Absolutely guaranteed, 100% of the time. But training for godliness is a benefit not only while we're here on earth, but also when we are with God. Now, why would Paul use this illustration of training? Well, in Ephesus... Training for athletic events was a big part of the culture. He's trying to resonate with his audience. But secondly, and more importantly, Paul wants Timothy to focus on the area of his life that he can control. In other words, Timothy might not be able to stamp out in the church at Ephesus every single person who is teaching falsely. That would have been an impossible task. Notice Paul's instructions to Timothy are, are not to root out the false teachers. They are to train for godliness. It's not that false teaching should be accepted, and there are times when we should root out the false teaching as it begins to take hold within the life of a church. But Paul is telling Timothy, the best use of your time is to train for godliness. And that is the case for every pastor i can't control whether god grows our church to two thousand people or he dwindles it down to 50 people ultimately i can't control that but i can control my godliness i can control the amount of time i spend in god's word on my knees before him memorizing scripture meditating i can control my godliness to an extent Obviously, the Holy Spirit works in me, but 
I can control the amount of time I spend with God. And those habits won't necessarily stop false teaching from happening within a church. Because we learned last week that the Holy Spirit had prophesied that this would happen. That false teaching always happens within the life of churches. So there's an extent in which you can never completely stamp it out. But when you train for godliness, it will ensure a gradual, growing righteousness in Christ. Because we grow in Christ... As we spend time with Christ. We only grow in Christ when we spend time with Christ. There is no shortcut to godliness. There is no godliness for dummies book at Barnes & Noble. Well, actually, there probably is. And I would suggest you don't buy it. The only gradual growing in righteousness that can happen is when we do as Paul encourages Timothy to do here. Train for godliness. Focus on godliness. And you know, in our flesh sometimes, as pastors, it might be, or it might feel good, to publicly call out false teachers by names and and name churches that we know aren't faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And there might be a time and place when that does need to happen. But over the long haul, more than talking bad about false teachers or talking bad about churches that aren't proclaiming the gospel, devoting my life to godliness not only benefits me, but it benefits the church that I pastor. And it benefits all of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, that needs to be the focus of pastors. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, all of the things that you could be doing, train for godliness. Train for godliness. But number two, we also see that Paul imparts wisdom to Timothy about toiling for the gospel. In verse 9, we see the same phrase that we saw earlier in chapter 1, verse 15, and chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. Paul says, and deserving of full acceptance, which Paul uses to introduce what he's going to say in verse 10, which is this, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What is Paul toiling and striving for? The singular focus of Paul's life was the gospel. He was consumed with it. And in 2 Corinthians, we see a glimpse at what Paul was willing to endure for the sake of the gospel. Here's what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all 
the churches. This is what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. And by the way, none of these descriptions would describe me. Outside of the anxiety that you guys give me, of course. But none of those other things have ever happened to me. And quite honestly, if all of those things did happen to me, I sometimes wonder how faithful I would be. And yet Paul is the example. Someone who toiled and strived for the gospel. And he gives the reason for this toiling and this striving. When he says, because we have our hope on the living God. Paul's hope in Christ is the motivation for tirelessly working to spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire and to devote his life to all of these churches and to devote his life to men like Timothy, like Silas, like Titus that he poured into throughout the course of his life. He toiled and strived for the gospel because he knew that people could only be saved through the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is the Savior, Paul says, of all people. What he means here is all types of people, Jews and Gentiles. Of course we know that Paul or Jesus can't be the Savior of all people because not all people are saved. We don't believe in universalism, which is the idea that no matter what happens, Jesus saves everyone in the end. No, we believe that Jesus saves those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. But he does save all kinds of people. He saves that brother in Iran. He saves that sister in Brazil. He saves that young child in China. All over the world, God is at work in the lives of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So he saves all types of people. People will not be saved through moralism. They will not be saved through religious ritual. They will only be saved through the blood shed for them on the cross. That is the only way we receive forgiveness of sins. And this was Paul's singular focus. He toiled and he strived for the gospel. And faithful pastors should do the same. That should be their focus. That should be my focus. But number three... We also see Paul telling Timothy to teach with authority. In spite of Timothy's youth, Paul wants him to teach with authority. Now, the word authority can often get a bad rap. What Paul does not mean here is that Timothy should coerce or manipulate or abuse or bully people into listening to his authority. But elders have been given unique authority by God to exercise oversight over the congregations that God has given to them. But these pastors and these elders do not ultimately have complete authority because they themselves submit under the authority of Jesus. So the way that God designed it is for Christ to rule over his church Pastors rule under Christ and congregations submit to the authority of the pastors and the elders. So no one gets out of submitting. Even Jesus submits to the will of his Father. So when Paul is telling Timothy to teach with authority, he is reminding him the message that you are proclaiming is a message that has been passed down to you. 
the authoritative words of God himself in the Bible. When Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things, he is affirming Timothy's authority in Ephesus. And of course, we see that phrase again, these things. It's everything that Paul has written to Timothy in this letter. There is great freedom when you're a pastor, knowing that when you have the authority to teach others, that you are simply teaching and explaining and applying God's word to people. Like, I'm still under authority. God has entrusted me, along with Reed and Nick and Trey, to this congregation. But all we are doing when we proclaim the truth of God's word is tell you what God has already told us. So there is no new revelation. There is no new message. And there is great freedom and great confidence to know that when I faithfully communicate the word of God to you, it's something that God has already given you. It's not new. There's great freedom in that to simply proclaim the truths of God's word that he's already given us in his word. And even though Timothy teaches with authority... Paul tells him that due to his youth, there will be those that doubt him. Now, there's a lot of speculation about how old Timothy was. Some people think as young as early 20s, as late as early 40s. Anywhere in that window. And depending on what commentary you read, you're going to get a full gamut of opinions. But Paul does tell Timothy, because of your youth... Perhaps because of your inexperience, there will be people in Ephesus that will doubt you. So here's how you convince them, Timothy. You convince them by the way you live your life. Not by the messages that you preach, but by the way you conduct yourself. And this is a contrast to the false teachers in Ephesus who were not speaking truthfully who were behaving improperly, who were engaging in sexual immorality. They were dividing the body. They were exercising poor faith. And Paul tells Timothy, do the opposite. Set the believers an an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. While his authority comes ultimately from the Lord... The affirmation and acceptance of his authority by the congregation comes from the way Timothy leads his life. So I could get up here and spout off whatever I wanted to spout off. And you might leave super impressed with my words. But if the way that I live my life doesn't match the things that I'm saying, I lose credibility. I lose the right to have authority. As a pastor, Paul hopes to return to Timothy. But he says, until I return, this is what you should do, Timothy. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Imagine all of the things that Paul could have told Timothy here. He could have given him a 12-point checklist to eliminate false teaching within your church. 
He doesn't do that. He could have given him sermon outlines. Timothy, preach these sermons that I've written and false teaching will go away. No. What's the antidote to false teaching in 1 Timothy? It's the word of God. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. The reason that every Sunday we read Scripture is not because we're trying to be formal, not because we're trying to be liturgical. We read Scripture publicly because we believe that the Bible commands Christ's church to read the Scriptures publicly in the gathering. Without explanation. It doesn't need to be explained when we read it. When God's word is spoken over the people, when it is read, we believe that it changes people. Even if we don't explain it. We also use it to encourage, to exhort one another. And of course, we use it to teach. This is what an elder pastor, pastor elder Remember, those words are interchangeable. This is what they are to do. They are to present the people with God's word. Because it is only God's word by his spirit that changes hearts. I don't change hearts. The songs that we sing ultimately don't change hearts. The prayers that we pray don't change hearts. The spirit of God through the proclamation of his word as we pray, as we sing, and as we preach is what changes hearts. With all of the problems that Timothy has to deal with in Ephesus, and I do not envy Timothy, by the way, a very challenging church with a number of problems. Paul's recommendation to Timothy and his instruction to him is very simple. Pay attention to the teachings of Scripture and pay attention to your life. Very profound yet simple advice from a mentor to his learner. And then number four, faithful pastors are to trek on. They are to persevere. Look at verse 14. Paul reminds Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Sometimes in pastoral ministry, when things are not going well, when you are discouraged, when you are down, it's important to remember what God calls you to. It's important for you to go back and remember when that church that affirmed you and said, we see the gifts of pastor in you. It's important to remember that moment. I'll never forget when my church that I grew up in laid hands over me and affirmed me in the work of pastoral ministry. And Paul is telling Timothy, there will be, there will be days when things will be difficult and you need to remember the prophecy that was predicted about you. That these are the gifts that the church sees in you. And the elders came around you and affirmed those gifts and sent you out. Timothy, remember that. Persevere on, faithfully proclaim the gospel, but when you are discouraged, remember that the church saw these gifts in you. So both theologically and practically, it is the local church's job to send out pastors. It doesn't, you you do not become a pastor theologically 
by getting some certificate on the internet. Theologically, according to the New Testament, it is local churches that affirm the giftedness that they see in individuals, lay hands on them, and then send them out to do the work of pastoral ministry. It's the same way with missionaries. Missionaries are to come from churches within local churches where that church can see qualities of pastors and see qualities of people that are passionate about getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth. It is the church's job to identify those people, disciple them, equip them, lay hands on them, and send them out. If you ever desire to go to seminary, they will request a church recommendation form. In other words, if churches are doing their due diligence, they will not just sign off and send someone off to seminary that doesn't show fruit of sanctification, that doesn't show giftedness for pastoral ministry or giftedness for the mission field. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Look, you weren't a pastor just because you woke up one morning and decided, I want to be a pastor. The church sent you out. They saw this giftedness in you, and they affirmed it, and they laid hands on you, and then sent you out. Timothy, remember that you have gifts that God has given you. And go back to that day when the elders laid hands on you. So this means that if you're going to be a pastor, or you're going to be a missionary, the most basic thing is that a person be a believer in Jesus Christ and converted to faith in Christ. We wouldn't want to send out missionaries who are not Christians. We wouldn't want to send someone into seminary who doesn't give evidence of faith in Christ. So Paul is telling Timothy, you trek on, you persevere. Remember how God has gifted you and keep doing what he has called you to do. Be diligent in these matters. Paul says, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's concluding remarks are for Timothy to do two things. Focus on his doctrine and focus on his behavior. And persevere till the end. And what's interesting here about Paul's advice to Timothy is the same advice that I would give you today. Focus on your conduct and focus on your doctrine, what you believe. Both matter, not just for the pastor, not just for the missionary. They matter for all Christians. Do not be deceived into thinking that only your doctrine matters and that the way you live your life is irrelevant. That's a lie. But the flip side is also true. Don't just completely focus on how you live your life and ignore what it is you believe. Doctrine and conduct both matter. Timothy does not tell, excuse me, Paul does not tell Timothy here that this is an either or. Timothy, just, just focus on your doctrine and don't worry about how you live your life. He doesn't say that. He also says, Timothy, 
Just worry about being a good person. Just be nice to the people and teach whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. All that matters is that you're nice and that people respect you. It is not an either or for Timothy. And it is not an either or for us. How we behave, what we believe, both matter. And when Paul tells Timothy at the end of this passage, if you do this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What does he mean by save? He's not talking about salvation in terms of past tense, which would be being saved from the punishment of sin. We know that being a good person doesn't save you from the punishment of sin. We know that simply knowing doctrine doesn't save you from the punishment of sin. So what does he mean by save here? He's talking about that present tense understanding of salvation, which is sanctification, being saved from the power of sin. So Timothy, as you grow in sanctification, you will be saved more from the power of sin, not only over your life, but in the lives of your hearers as well. So Paul's instructions to Timothy center ultimately around the gospel. Conduct, doctrine, flow out of a proper understanding of the gospel. So the question before us today is, do you know the gospel? I know we read it at the beginning of every service. So in that sense, yes, you know it intellectually. Have you been transformed by its power? Have you repented of your sin? placed your faith in Christ. It is our prayer every single week that as we plan services and plan sermon series and plan songs that we sing, that people will be saved by the gospel. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for sinners is the only hope for any of us to be reconciled to God. So here's the, the final remarks and the final reminder whether you remain at First Baptist Dothan for the next 100 years or you're only here a year and, and God takes you somewhere else, when you're examining churches and, or recommending churches for friends that you know or children or grandchildren as they move out, where should they go to church? How should they be examining what kind of churches to be a part of? What type of pastors to follow? Remember this passage. This is what faithful pastors do. They train for godliness. They toil for the gospel. They teach with authority. And they trek on, keeping at the forefront of everything they do the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this encouraging letter that Paul sends to Timothy. As he navigates being a pastor in a very difficult time, in a very difficult church, where false teaching was running rampant. And yet his instructions to Timothy are not only instructions for pastors today, but they're really instructions for all Christians. That we would train for godliness. That we would toil and strive for the gospel to be proclaimed. That if we have been given the gift of teaching, that we would teach with authority. Not because people should just listen to us, but because the message we teach is the authoritative word that you have given to us. And may we trek on. May we persevere until the end. May we devote our lives to this book that you have given us and devote our lives to proclaiming the gospel to lost people 
who are searching for meaning and significance in all of the wrong places. And as we have opportunities to share, give us the humility to approach these brothers, or not, excuse me, to approach these people in love and compassion and kindness. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.